Welcome to a brand new episode of the Palace of Glittering Delight, and in a rarity, well, for this show, mostly, I have a guest. Who is it? It's you. Oh, right. <laughs> Some nobody important. <laughs> I have dragged my son, Michael, to join me for this. We're not talking about comics, so I've, no, had, to, I've had to put it on, but I'll cross-pollinate when I release the episode. Well, that's why I've got siblings. That's Yes, we did a lot of cross-pollination. The reason for this is that Michael has rediscovered Star Trek. All of them. Now, rediscovered? Of, like I've lost it. Well, you've kind of grown up with it because you grew up with me. And yes. I can't remember a time when I don't watch Star Trek of any of its various stripes and, and, and iterations. But one of the things that interested me, and one of the reasons that I wanted to do this show with you, which we've been talking about for like six months now, mm. but this is the first time we've actually got to sit down, was that if you go on Twitter, now I know Twitter's an echo chamber, but if you go on Twitter, the original series is now an aberration and an embarrassment and okay. deeply sexist and deeply problematic. And following Star Trek Strange New Worlds, we should erase it from canon and we should just carry on forward with Strange New Worlds. And I'm reading this going, do you people even like Star Trek? <laughs> now, some of that may be me because I grew up with, the original mm-hmm. to me the original is star trek and the rest i'll just followed later and i like some of them and i don't like some of them and but that's fine you can there's that much of it now yeah you can mix and match and you can choose your flavor mm-hmm. and if a flavor doesn't find favor you can go well i'm not going to bother with that one i'll watch this one instead and that's fine but you are in your mid-20s so yeah. you are prime target demographic for twitter this show is problematic Okay. And yet you didn't find that. And I found you messaging me after you watched an episode. Fascinating. Because I'm getting to see it from a different point of view. New again. Yeah. So first of all, what made you do it? Because I didn't force you don't live with me anymore. Um, It was um, Strange New Worlds. Uh, It was when... I went to New York earlier in the year. There was a lot of promotion for Strange New Worlds. Uh, I tried Discovery when it came out. It's like not vibing. Uh, but uh, Strange New Worlds spinning out of that. There was a lot of uh, attention for it. It's all single episode stuff again. And on the on the plane trip over, uh, my friend next to me is catching up on Picard. I was like, I've never seen Picard. I've never seen next generation i've never seen any of the next well, generation you must have seen stuff. some when i was growing up but never, when you were growing up but never watched no if you know what i mean so if you sat and watched star trek with me you watched either the films mm-hmm. or the original when watching nemesis with you in the cinema you did yeah so i mean I, I, i'm interested in seeing that again because i remember we had it on dvd as well and i would watch it and then i've never seen it again you subsequently learned that that one is derided well yeah um so i'm i'm looking forward to it but i'm not up to this so You'd seen Watch Picard. I was like, I've never seen him. So when I got back from, I think it was, yeah, after Glastonbury, the day I returned from Glastonbury, Paramount Plus came out over here and I started watching them and I got lists, like best ofs, just kind of like, there's there's a lot of it. Yeah. And so, I, I think your approach to it was very smart because you've not sat down and gone, I am going to start at the beginning yeah. and watch every episode of every show yeah. chronologically 
in order. Yeah. Your approach to it has been right. I'm, I'm going to watch all of it. Yeah, but I'm going to do it at my speed, at my pace, and I'm going to yeah. look at these best of lists, yeah. and I'm going to look at multiple best of lists. Mm-hmm. And also with Star Trek and The Next Generation, you also texted me, right, this is the list. Yeah. Tell me what's missing. Yeah. Tell me what shouldn't be on here. Yes. Um. So that was my approach. And initially I was thinking... Oh, well, I'll watch it in, you know, chronological order, because I can do that now. Hmm. Um, my first mistake was watching Star Trek first. <laughs> Why was that a mistake? Well, because it's not the first, is it? Chronologically, I should have started with Discovery and then Enterprise. Oh, no, screw chronology. So... You watch it, because this is one order. of the things. Yeah, you watch it in the order they were made. It's yeah. the same with Star Wars. The pre- You go watch the prequels first. I don't care what George mm-hmm. says. My issue is one of, one of the... the superior, by the way. Yeah, no, I, that's fine. <laughs> one of my issues on Twitter was somebody saying, it must be so disappointing now for people who've watched the, the texture of Strange New Worlds to go and watch the original and be so disappointed with it. And I'm like, one, nobody is stupid enough yeah. to think that Strange New World was made before Star Trek. Yeah. Nobody's that dumb. Yeah. It's a lot easier for people to get wound up and to get angry and to criticise than it is for them to contextualise. Yes. And maybe generally speaking, I think a lot of people don't want to contextualise. And that's the thing with Twitter being social media generally being this echo chamber. You are just looking for people to agree with you. Yeah. And by and large, people block people who don't agree with them. I like people not agreeing with me. Mostly. Yeah. Um, this is why I disagree. Yeah, the, this, uh, the, the whole I dislike it, you're an idiot for liking it is a, is a, is a critical path that seemed to have been invented with Batman versus Superman that I despise. You're not an idiot for not liking something. Yeah. But why do you prefer that one to this one? And I'm, de- I'm here for those discussions. So you, you started with, you didn't start with the cage. I didn't. Which I found crucial, mm. given that it was Strange New Worlds that kicked off this this interest which is for those that don't know star trek strange new worlds takes place 10 12 years before the original show yeah and is the adventures of captain christopher pike who we learned about in the original series in a two-part episode called the menagerie but had previously starred in the original pilot which was subsequently completely recast from the ground up yeah only one unheard, actor wasn't it it was, at a it was originally unheard mm. which surprises me one of the things in Star Trek history that does surprise me is in the 60s, it was it was popular to cut up episodes of TV shows yeah. and release them as theatrical movies. The Man from Uncle did this a lot. Okay, right. And The Incredible Hulk did it. And there's yeah. a couple of other shows like that. Why they never released The Cage into theatres mm. when Star Trek was on the air? I never understood that. Okay, right. I yeah. don't get why they did that. But yeah, for ages, you could only see The Cage on the convention circuit as it was originally made. Yeah. It was chopped up into the two-part episode of the Menagerie. So you started your Star Trek journey with... The Naked Time. You started with The Naked Time. I started with The Naked yeah. And how did that vibe? Absolutely fine. Because it's not as if... It's not as if I didn't know who these people were. That's true. You're not going into this completely cold. But also it's not as if Star Trek starts with a beginning... You start. These are the, all. This is also true. The five-year mission is is started, regardless of. Yeah, if you watch the cage. Yeah. Pike has been in charge of the Enterprise for we don't know how long. It's not mentioned. Yeah. There's nothing in the cage about this being a five-year mission, mm-hmm. but he is literally just coming off a mission that went badly wrong. Yes. In the cage. So. Where no where no man has gone before. Kirk is now the captain. No mention is made of Pike in where no man has gone before. Yeah. Scotty's there. 
briefly. Sulu's there briefly. They've got maybe like one or two lines of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Spock's there in the decent role, but he isn't first officer. Science officer. Yeah, Yeah. but he is the science officer. But McCoy's nowhere to be seen. Uhura's nowhere to be seen. None Mm -hmm. of the regulars that you think... That's why I always think, if you start where No Man Has Gone Before, you see a story arc. Mm-hmm. For Kirk, you see a captain. You don't know how long he's been in command. Yeah, but there has to be a substantial amount of time between that episode and the series because there are differences in technology and differences in uniforms. Yes. So this yeah, was yeah. always my when people would say we only saw three years of the five year mission. How do you know that? Were no man has gone before could have been in the first six months of Kirk's five year mission. And also, how do you know it's not similar to The Sopranos in that we only see what's worth seeing? Yeah, the Star Trek was made before fans demanded to see everything, every minute of these characters' lives. Mm. He can't have had a mission every week that was interesting. I imagine there's also a lot of travelling as well. Yeah, (laughs) and certainly the Paradise Syndrome takes place over, is it three months? Mm. So there are episodes that take place over a span of time. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you can't write, you know, the animated series is a year of the mission as well, and some of the novels, whatever. Okay, right. But it seems to me that those 79 episodes could easily have covered five years. Mm. But because it was the 60s, you're right, it doesn't have an introductory episode. And I, I think that's why it was so easy to get into. It didn't matter where you started. Any episode in that first season could have been the first episode. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it probably was. There was only um, one of my favourite running gags in that first season as well. The only thing that kind of connects them is um, that Kirk slept around with some of the uh, the medical staff on a Christmas Christmas do, and that seems to be a running gag throughout that first season. That's the only thing that connects them, really. Well, that's that's the interest. Let's okay. Let's talk about the problematic Captain James T. Kirk. Yeah. In your watching this show, right? Yes. How many times does Captain Kirk actually break the rules? Well, he doesn't. He doesn't. How well, many well, times? Apart from one time where he commits sabotage on that planet despite them telling him not to. Is that a test of Armageddon? It's the one where the, the, the Federation and the Klingons are on this planet and the guys living there are like, we don't want to fight. And then it turns out there's some kind of omnipotent beings. Mm. Uh, and Kirk sabotages the Klingons because... That's Aaron de Mercer. That's it, yeah. But at the end of that episode, what lesson does he learn? That he should have that he, that done he, what he was told. Yeah, that fighting is, is not the necessary outcome. Yeah. That is not the natural solution. Captain Kirk learns a lesson in that episode. Mm-hmm. There's only two instances in the show where Kirk breaks the rules, disobeys right. an order. Okay. A mock time to right. save Spock. Yeah. Star Trek Three: The Search for Spark, to save Spark. <laughs> Literally, the only two times he disobeys an order. Yeah. The only oh, time oh, he does, he to steal an Enterprise and run off. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't. He never breaks the Prime Directive. The Prime Directive he states the he prime pushes directive. the Prime Directive. He. He bends the Prime Directive. There's an episode where he literally is hauled up by McCoy saying, you can't interfere with this culture. I think it's the apple. And Kirk's argument is, there is no culture here. There is no development. Val has stopped this society from developing. He did also kidnap a woman 
from the past to bring to the future. I'm not sure, you know, that goes. You no, know, he didn't. She jumped on him. That's da da da. We've got an entire episode where he kidnaps a U.S. fighter pilot. From no, the he 60s, doesn't. They save his they, life and they squabble. There's a big dilemma about whether they should take him mm. back or keep them with them. Prime Directive stuff, and then. Star Trek 4, he's just like, yeah, let's bring this woman back. I oh. might sleep with her. Who knows? Yeah, all right. Well, yeah, but she jumps on him. He doesn't tech her. Yeah, but I get yeah, your yeah. point. Tomorrow is yesterday. There's this whole dilemma about how do they put Captain Christopher back yeah. without disrupting the timeline. And at one point, Spock even suggests we just keep him. We just take him back with us. He disappears here. He doesn't contribute to life as we know it. Hmm. He knows He makes no impact. If he disappears here, no one will know. And it's only later on he thinks to go, wait a minute, what about his kids? Yeah. And he finds out his great-grandchild does do yeah. something. Yeah. And he's not been born yet. So yeah. if Christopher doesn't go back... That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. So they have to find a way to fix if that. anything, Picard does more rule-breaking than Kirk ever did. I think, but I think Picard... Well, we'll get to the next generation. Let's stick with the original. So first yeah. of all, if we dispel that myth mm. that he's not a rule-breaker... No. I mean, what's all the big deal about where no man has gone before? What does Gary Mitchell call him? A stack of books with legs. Yeah. In his class, you either sink or think. He's not a rule breaker. What no. did you What did you think of him? I mean, you know, I think he's the manliest man who ever manned. Um, well, I, yeah. Um, he's the cool kid in high school that you want to be. He he's kind of like that knobby. <laughs> He, Kirk is essentially that lovable dickhead. Yeah. And that he, he's a knob and he pushes the rules because he knows he can get away with it, but he's not inherently doing anything wrong. He knows the system and that's why he can play with it. But there's also the element, though, that he's he can't just phone Starfleet for advice. Yeah. He's out on the frontier. Yeah. He's basically, they give him latitude to make his decisions. But what yeah. I like about him as well, he consults with the others. Yes. He doesn't make his decision and it's my way or the highway. He asks his officers, what do you think we should do? Mm. Then he makes his decision based upon all the advice. Yeah. and But it's, it's the most likable thing about him. And why when, when I got there, I didn't like Picard as much. Mm. Is everything he does is just like, it's fun. He's got that... that that smirk where he's just like, come on, let's go do this. It's like, it's most illogical. It's like, nah, come on, let's go do it. He's, he's, he's very charming. He's likeable. He's 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 not the captain above his people. He's he's working with his friends. But at the end of the day, they know he's the captain. Yeah. When the final analysis is made and the decision has to be made, yeah. it's his decision. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of character there as well. Do you remember? Did you watch The Ultimate Computer? Because that wasn't on any of your lists. Okay. And I said, yes, you have to if watch that If it was on one. yours, then yes. It's a pivotal Kirk episode. The one where he's replaced as captain with the computer. Yeah, where he's making the decisions. Yeah. And he's going, these decisions are wrong. Yeah. Why is it shutting off my life support? Yeah. yeah. There is no one on that deck. Yeah. So the life support doesn't need to be on. And he has that great conversation with McCoy in his quarters mm. about um, nobody likes when computerization loses a job, but it's different when it's your job. Yeah. But at the end of the day, a starship will need human interaction mm. to be able to function. Yeah. A computer can't do that. A computer can't weigh all those variables. Oh, Kirk's just got some of the best monologues and lines. Shatner was the best at speeching. Shat- Even better than Patrick Stewart. Shatner's great when I know uh, like 
pa- uh, Patrick Stewart is an actual Shakespearean actor. So so Shatner. But the thing that Next Generation loses that the original's great at and and Shatner excels at is the Shakespearean dialogue. Yeah. When that it, over that slightly yeah. there's an over the topness to Star Trek dialogue. But it's delivered with, with conviction. Yeah. And Shatner nails that every time. Some of the best episodes and the best lines. Um the 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 one episode I just said it was my favourite one as well earlier. Where he's he sat on the ship on his own on the bridge and the lights are off and he's just going, How do I compare with perfection? How do I win my crew back? Oh, this side uh, of paradise. Yeah. Uh, that's great when he's all I want is a tall ship. A tall ship and the stars to steer me by. Yeah. It's like great stuff. I, yeah. He's a he's a poet with a shit eating grin. <laughs> he is. He's I don't I think a lot of people mix William Shatner up with Captain Kirk. Yeah. And there are elements to Shatner that are slightly more off. Yeah, well, I think I saw one uh, comparison saying Leonard Nimoy and Spock would be friends and hang out and have conversations, whereas Kirk Hmm. would knock out Shatner in an Applebee's car park. And a lot of people, there's, there's a, there does seem to be some strange thing where people are confusing actor with character. Yeah. And I, I don't think that the Kirk of the TV show has ever been the caricature that people make him out to be. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That Chris Pine plays. Mm. Chris Pine plays that Kirk. Yeah. Shatner doesn't. Well, a lot of it stems from the, the Shatner's acting as well. Because uh, there's... You probably know as well. There's there was like a big trend to take the piss out of the silliness of Star Trek, mm. and most of the time that stems from Shatner's overacting as well. I would argue he only overacts in the third season mm. when he's not got Roddenberry there. See what they used to do with him oh, I was love this story. <laughs> they would pull him in to look at the dailies to come come and look at the dailies for today's show, Bill. And yeah. they did that for two reasons. One they would want him to see when he was going over the top. With his red face. Yeah, and re- and he'd, he'd see it, and he'd rein that in a bit. And the second was if he was putting weight on. <laughs> because they didn't want to have the uncomfortable conversation with him, Bill, yeah. you're putting weight on. Well, But when he saw himself, he'd start hitting the gym. To lean into that, though, I think one of the, the more likeable things about him is he's not your Captain America... Uh, Thor, kind. He's just, he's just a guy. Mm. Uh, like, there's, there's nothing. He's not ripped. He's just a bloke. Yeah. And I, I think that one of the kind of appealing things as well is just seeing, you know, this, this guy of just being, of just looking like a guy. Yeah. He's not. Yeah, like you say, he's not all muscular and like the new yeah. guys. The new guys playing Pike and Spark are apparently on a very regulated exercise regime and diet. Right. To maintain the look in those uniforms. Yeah. Clearly Shatner wasn't on that. Yeah, that's, that's one, of, one of, I think, is one of the most likeable things. And it just makes it more enjoyable is, he's got some pudge. Yeah, it's like, every now and again, he's, he's, he looks a bit poor. It's, it's not a big deal. And it, you know. It, it doesn't stop him being a great captain. Exactly, yeah. Um, I, I don't mean, even Dana sat there going, oh, he's quite handsome, isn't it? It's like, he was well, a good looking you know, guy, yeah. Yeah. She likes the episode where he's evil because she's like, you know what, Shatner looks all right in some eyeliner. It's like, all right, okay. So, well, that's the end we're then. So that's another one that frequently was top ten episode mm-hmm. when I was growing up. 
now people are like, I don't know that I'm fond of Spock making a rape joke at the end of it. Right. Which I think is a valid criticism. Mm-hmm. But again, I see even contextually you struggle to justify that. Yeah. Kirk is embarrassed by it. Mm-hmm. When she, when Yeoman Ram tells Kirk, you tried to do this to me. Yeah. He's visibly disturbed by this. Yeah. That he would even have to attempt to rape a woman. Mm-hmm. That Spock makes a joke about it at the end yeah. is a little bit off. And even <laughs> even I, the staunchest original show supporter, yeah. is like, all right, I can see that's a justifiable criticism. Well, there are a lot of aspects to do with a lot of arguments and criticisms with it that lean into the sexism. And it's not to say that it's... There aren't aspects of it that aren't sexist. No. Uh, you know, Rodbury was a raging sexist. Yeah, and you've definitely got the kind of um, skirt of the week thing. Mm-hmm. You've definitely got your aspects of, you know, men forcing themselves on women quite a lot. Um, so there are those kind of aspects of it that kind of let it down a little but again that was the thing to contextualize that it's not to say that this is kosher it's to say like well and by it the... happened in a lot more things than star trek and if you look at the bond movies of the time mm. look at how the women are treated in the 60s bond movies and yeah. compare them to how the women are treated in star trek and now i just said Roddenberry was a raging horn dog mm-hmm. and a bit of a sexist but he wanted the women to wear pants yeah and was told no. And the second lead in the pilot where no man has gone before is a woman. Yeah. And she's got a substantial part. And if you look at the women Kirk's involved with, every single one of them is a professional woman. Yeah. With a lawyer or a doctor or a scientist. Mm-hmm. He's, he doesn't just have flings. And he actively is embarrassed. Well, when there are flings, the joke is that... He's embarrassed by yeah. them. Like, the, when that woman gets... Uh, it's what a little girl's made of, isn't it? The, the Christmas party. Yeah. And she gets transported to... Transported. She gets transferred to the Enterprise. He's deeply embarrassed well, that he's had an affair with a member of his crew. There's also the one with the mind control machine where he goes down with one of the women and he says something to her and just goes, look, I've heard about you and Christmas parties. It's the same episode. And he just backs away. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. It's the same one. Yeah. So you so you didn't watch all of them? No. So on the original show, which ones were your favourites? Okay. So I watched The Naked Time. I watched The Enemy Within. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, Dagger of the Mind. I watched Dagger of the Mind. Did you see, I, Dagger of the Mind is never Which one, is of one of, my, one one of my favourites. Which is what talking about. It was Dagger of the Mind with the, the mind control machine. Well, all right, yeah, okay. Um, I think I watched The Cobra Night Manoeuvre. I probably did. You should have, because I would have told you to watch that one, because that's I one of my favourites. The Menagerie, and the Menagerie is why I didn't start with The Cage. Yeah. Because I knew I was going to watch it again anyway, so yeah. why bother? Um, I ended up really liking Christopher Pike. I wanted to see more of him. I was the same. As a kid. Seeing, it's kind of like, I, I want to say a mature captain. Yeah. He's worn down, he's tired, he doesn't want this responsibility but has it and he mm. takes it seriously. It feels like the season finale of a show we never saw. Yeah. And not only that, but 
I mean, I've already seen it. Futurama did the exact same premise as well. I'd already seen it. I already kind of knew it. But just seeing it done so well and so seriously, it's, it was mature mm. sci-fi. Um, I just having it as a two-part, especially with the big aspects of the, the, the framing device as well being what's Spock doing? Why yeah. is he breaking the rules as well? Like, hooking you in. Just everything about it was just exciting. I watched both parts back to back, so I was like, I just I need to carry on watching this. And see, there's there's two things though. One, that becomes different once you've seen Strange New Worlds. Mm. Spock's actions have a whole new emotional resonance. Yeah. Now you've seen Strange New Worlds and you've seen just how close they were. I don't think you needed to though. I no, no, you I don't need you got to. It. You get it. Yeah. From from Nimoy's performance. But the, the second aspect of that is think about that from the point of view of them seeing it. As a viewer, you don't know this was the original pilot. You don't know there was a pilot that was scrapped. It never got heard. Okay, you're yeah. looking at this episode, you're thinking, Jesus age, they've had an entire new cast. <laughs> they've revamped the sets. Yeah. They've got all this production value. It has one of my favourite shots, as junky as it is, when it zooms in on the yeah, Enterprise. Yeah, goes through the, the roof. walls. Yeah. yeah. Which they never did again, because mm-hmm. they couldn't afford to. Right, okay. And it's and it and it's got the second sexiest Star Trek girl ever to appear on Star Trek in it. <laughs> right. I love Susan Oliver. I it's, genuinely love Susan Oliver. It's also peak Star Trek on both of its layers. Yeah. Um, even just as as the Cajun of itself to question humanity and yeah. what separates them and what drives them. Um. Yeah, just great stuff. And at the end of it, Pike's got his groove back. Yeah, and that goes into the the series proper. His arc in that is exactly the same as Ben Sisko's in the first episode of Deep Space Nine. Everything you said there about Pike, substitute Sisko. It's the same premise. I mean, I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. had enough for Starfleet. He's he doesn't want to do this anymore. He's broken because of the death of his wife, a wife that was killed at the Battle of World Three Five Nine. So yeah. a death that he blames Picard for. Which... And by the end of the pilot. He's got his groove back. Was my favourite thing about that pilot. Picard wasn't just brought in to just be... Yeah, he was mostly Just, just to send them off. Yeah. yeah, it was... Yeah, yeah. I just really like Pike. I do. Well, as a kid, any novels that were set in that era, yeah. I devoured them. And any comics that they set in the Pike era. Mar- Marvel did a series that was just that. Okay. It was and it's what's great about it is the first they'd only ran for like nineteen issues because mm. they lost the license. Not that it wasn't selling, but like the first half is before the cage. Okay. And you get all these crew members that you've not seen before. And if you remember the cage begins, he's talking about that mission to Rigel that went horribly wrong and loads of people got killed. Mm. And then the last half of it takes place after the cage. So all these characters that you grew to know and love in the first half of the series are now just dead. That's interesting because. As a comparison, it was only yesterday we were discussing that we didn't need more backstory around characters in the prequel Rogue One. I would argue this is different because these are characters that you didn't know. You don't see them in the cage. Yeah. You just see Pike bemoaning. in that media. But even then you've got Pike as Andor. But in that... But in the comics, you see Pike's relationship with all those people. So that when he's bemoaning the deaths... In the cage, it means more to you. He's not okay. just bemoaning the death of people you don't know. Yeah, he's it's literally his assistant gets killed. Okay, his personal, his human, yeah, essentially gets killed, 
and that relationship that was built up over those first eight or nine episodes issues mm. that suddenly means something okay and it's it's quite fascinating or i enjoyed it anyway so, so the first so the general impression is that the original is is not problematic no i mean to a degree I, but of the times yeah I well, you never... yourself would text with some of this is quite progressive. I'd, uh, yeah, as we'd get when we discuss more of the episodes, but I would I would not dismay it as not being problematic. More of a case of it's representative of those times. I'd and argue that... it was more progressive, absolutely, than was... lots of other shows on the air at the same time. And it's as as we've said with some of the other episodes, it's it's modern, it's topical even now. It's only hindered by the fact that it was made when it was made. Yeah. Um, so after that, what else was on my list? So I saw uh, Balance of Terror. Which is one of the best episodes, and you will watch that one again after you've seen the Strange New Worlds finale. I've seen, yep. yeah. Uh, sure Leave. Oh, one of my all-time favourite frivolous which episodes. Which was the first time I think it was fun. Yeah, it's the first time they let the her down and, and just have a laugh. Just see him, the rabbit. I love that that pre-credit sequence. Yeah, where Doctor McCoy is like, "Have you seen? A, have you seen a, a rabbit?" <laughs> and he just points. Yeah, and then Kirk shows up and has the most in Kirk character line ever. You follow the rabbit, I'll backtrack the girl. Am <laughs> <laughs> I like, okay, Jim? I, I think it's the first time as well that the relationship between Kirk Bones and Spock is. Built the yeah, and especially given how little Spock's in that one. Yeah, excuse me. Uh, Arena, obviously, I've seen classic. Uh, Tomorrow is yesterday, which we're discussing. Classic. Uh, Return of the Archons. The basis for the Purge movies. Uh, Space Seed, because I've seen Rathacon many times, but not Space Seed. Did you like Space Seed? Yes, it is a good one. Isn't it, it does lean into the whole sexism of the times a lot. Yeah, more. but as but what you you blew my mind, yeah. Right. Everyone bangs on about Shatner and Nichelle Nichols being the first interracial kiss on television, which yep. it isn't, yeah, 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 by yeah. the way. Yeah. This did it before that. Yeah. It's also, I think we brought this up yesterday, in that Roddenberry's vision of the world in which these characters live in in Star Trek is this kind of um, socialist utopia. Yeah. But what Space Seed reminds us is everything gets a whole lot worse before it gets better. And I think that's fascinating. That's the well, that's most, where we are now. Well, that's the most interesting part about it. It's not. It's easy to tell this story of some kind of utopian future. Yeah. But that reminder of there's a price to pay for that. Yeah, we went through shit to get that. Yeah, and that's just fascinating stuff. And even uh, the conversation of with Spock going talk as if you admire him. It's like, of course, you yeah. can be the worst human being, but still be admirable. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Kirk does have a lot of time for Khan. Yeah. And Khan for Kirk, mm. which is why one of the biggest regrets about the film is they don't meet each other. Everything's over view screen. Yeah. Which is it's, the only problem with it. It's just that argument that you can respect someone, but yeah. you don't have to like them. Or, or even agree with them. Exactly, yeah. Uh, this Side of Paradise, my all time favourite episode. Is it? Why it's is my... that your favourite? I think. It mostly stems down to its silliness taken seriously. And the performance in it, it's... You see Spock being human. Yeah. And you see the price he has to pay for being a Vulcan. He lets himself have this happiness. He lets himself have this relationship 
and everyone starts being happy, but obviously there's a bad side. Um, you see Bones having mint juleps and he's having a laugh and everyone is letting their hair down. They're having a great time. But Kirk is the only one who's... Because he's married to his ship. Right. It's not just that he's married to his ship. He knows that this happiness is coming at a cost and it's not a good one either. Mm. But he's on his ship. He's the last one left. He's sat in his darkness. He's going, how do I fight perfection how do i bring my crew back and he knows the only way to do it is to sacrifice the happiness of his best friend and he brings back spock and he tricks him and he removes that happiness Mm -hmm. he cuts that away from him and that's also one of the most important aspects of the friendship as well is kirk made the ultimate sacrifice for spock without his permission yeah because he knew and just that it's it's complex and it's multifaceted and I honestly think it's the most fascinating episode it's my favourite one really? the performances are all great from Shatner especially it's my favourite and Jill Island's in it who was lovely <laughs> yeah, yeah. but what I love about that one is if the naked time is the Enterprise crew are all drunk this side of paradise is they're all high which is one of the best bits where Sulu comes out topless with his, his, <laughs> his, his like EP, Zorro yeah, yeah. Uh, following from that, did I watch the I watched the Devil in the Dark? You better have done. I definitely Classic. watched the Devil in the Dark. Um, well, didn't you say Shatner's dad Shatner's dad died while the they were filming well. that episode? Yeah. So basically, what you've got in that one is an Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom scenario. Okay. Anytime it's Kirk from behind, it's not Shatner. Right. They basically carried on filming mm-hmm. with Shatner's stunt double, and then when he came back, they filmed his side of the episode. Okay. So, like in Temple of Doom, where Harrison Ford was off having his back operated on, mm. anytime it's him from behind, it's not him. Okay. So it's the same with that one. Shatner's not in about fifty percent of it. Okay. It's still got some great bits in it as well. Like it's one of my favorite um, McCoy moments. Yeah. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like he's got that big grin. It's like great Excuse stuff. Me. Um, and then even leading into uh, the the foundations of what Star Trek means, and it's just this isn't a monster. Yeah. Why are we scared when we should be understanding it and, yeah. and actually talking? Uh, Pass that. Errand of Mercy. Classic. Um, Doesn't have McCoy in it, Errand yeah. of Mercy. Uh, I watched Sitting on Edge of Forever. Generally regarded to be the best episode of the show. I also... It's not my number one. No. Uh, and I, I, I know a lot of people love it as well and say it's one of the best ones. And it's great Kirk and Spock stuff. And the depressing episode of doing the wrong thing for the right reasons or yeah. doing something you don't want Again, to do because you, you have to. Again, essentially there's a similarity to this side of paradise. He has to let this woman die Yeah. for everybody else. It's mm. the needs of the many outweighing the needs, needs of the few. few. Long before Star Trek Two. But there's just something... It's a great episode, but I wouldn't say it's one of the best. And I'm not I'm not sure why. Because it's 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 perfectly star trek it's perfectly yeah. good it's it's a great episode but there's just something about it where it doesn't just com- it doesn't compare to for, a lot of others for me balance of terror is a better star trek episode right i think i i would put a mock time above it as well because mm. a mock time's a character piece yeah but also fleshes out the vulcan society mm. balance of terror is balance of terror is the episode i would show to anyone who's like never seen star trek so when Strange New Worlds does a riff on that, 
Yeah. I was quite happy with it because everyone's always City on the Edge of Forever. But I'm like, no, City on the Edge of Forever only works if you know the character relationships. Yeah. Balance of Terror doesn't doesn't matter. Well, Balance of Terror also, I think, is one of the best uses of a small budget. Mm. The first 10 minutes is gripping. Without ever leaving the bridge. But you don't see what's going no. on. They're describing it, yeah. but you never see it. But never see a hooked. thing. Yeah. It's a radio play. Yeah, essentially. And it, it's really good. That's the that is the one I would always say that watch that one. That's mm. Star Trek. Okay. And it's not that I don't think City on the Edge of Forever is great, I do. But it's also got the whole mythos around it of Harlan Ellison never shutting up right. about how much his script was rewritten by Roddenberry. Yeah. Well Roddenberry didn't do that. Yeah. Dorothy Fontana and Gene Cooper Roddenberry took a pass at it. But he released his book mm. straight after Roddenberry died, which was in nowhere you know, dancing on somebody's grave. He released <laughs> that, that book was definitely written before they're well, just waiting for the right waiting time. for the right moment. Yeah, and in it, it's got the original script. Right. And I read that original script, and I remember thinking, "This isn't." I'm, I'm sorry, Harlan. Yeah. This isn't as good as the third episode. I do apologise. I know you think you're the greatest thing since bread came sliced, <laughs> right? But this isn't as good as the third episode. Hmm. It's probably a great Twilight Zone, but it's not Star. Trek. It's not a great episode of Star Trek. Okay. So I'm always coloured by that and the fact that I always feel a bit thinking you're talking ill of the dead, but Harlan was really obnoxious, so I'm not really that bothered. (laughs) He had no problem taking the awards that it got. Right. Because it got an award for best original screenplay, his original script that wasn't filmed. Right. But it also got a best episode teleplay or something, which he didn't write. Okay. And he's quite happy to take that. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. I, there's a complex history behind City and the Edge of Forever that always just keeps it off my top spot. Also, the fact John Collins to this day insists she had a relationship with Hitler. And what? I'm like, did you watch the episode you were in, Joan? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly not. Yeah, okay. So, whatever. Swiftly on, uh, season two of Mock Time, obviously. <laughs> Best episode ever. Um, Pretends to be dead so that he could snap his boyfriend, I mean, best friend out of it. <laughs> Oh, that's the thing, though, isn't it? Dana's the Spurk fan. That's a Star Trek invented slash fiction. I mean, I I don't like the name Spurk. Personally, I think they just could have gone with cock with a K. (laughs) Actually, that works much better. (laughs) Uh, That's that's one of the the more interesting things about it, and it's a shame she's she's out now. I started off watching this as just another, when Dana doesn't want the TV, I've got something to watch. She quickly grew engrossed in it because of... Kirk, Spock, and Bones. And did she start delving into Slash? And st- Well, she claims she doesn't read it as much. She's still a big fan of the whole Nightwing Deathstroke thing. Yeah. But I, I, I've seen it, I've seen it. Yeah, slash fiction, slash fiction started with Star Trek. And we will get up to her response to the films, but there was... There was she may be back by that. There was weeping at the end of Wrath of Khan. Good, I should hope so. Um, that is the correct and proper response. But that's also, I think that's also like a testament to these characters that, you know, she went from... Nah, I don't really care about this show. I'll just you know just have it on in the background to being so actively invested yeah, in these characters. How pissed off you were that you couldn't watch it unless she was there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got an I, hour here. I could watch a Star Trek. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of shows where I'll start off watching it as just finally I don't have to wait for Dana to watch this. I can just watch it whenever I want. This is good. This isn't it? It's like Battlestar Galactica during COVID lockdown. Yeah. It's like. Do you want to make us some breakfast and we'll watch another one? It's like, oh, when did you get so bothered about my shows? 
<laughs> See, but I love it when that happens. Because it's, <laughs> it's like, you have this idea that Star Trek is only for nerds and geeks. It's not. It was made for a, a primetime television slot mm-hmm. on a major network, mm-hmm. and that's where it heard. It was made for mass consumption. It wasn't made for a cult audience. It became a cult audience, but that wasn't what it was made for. I don't, I don't think when it was heard on regular TV, I don't think it did. Mm. Next Generation was aimed squirrel at that same audience. Right. And I think what ultimately kills it is when you start only aiming at the culty audience. Yeah. But now you're on streaming, the culty audience embraces it. Mm. But the problem with that is the general audience don't know that Strange New World exists. When you limit the access to it. Yeah. Yeah. So whereas Star Trek, anybody could watch Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It was on BBC One at seven, ten past seven at night. Yeah. That's when I first discovered it. Okay. So, you know. Anyway, season two, arguably the best season of any Star Trek show ever. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, Mirror Mirror? Where everyone, oh, has, everyone has goatees? Spark has a goatee. Well, uh, Doomsday Machine. But one of the best ones ever. The Baskin Shark episode, as your mum calls it. Did I watch Metamorphosis? I want to say, I, yeah, of course I did. Yes, you did, because that's the one you texted because, me about. And that's when we discussed, uh, going back to earlier, how modern and topical it is. Yes. I would not say that it's one of the better episodes, but it's one of maybe the most important episodes for what Star Trek represents. Yeah, because um, it's it's basically saying love is love. Yeah, which is a very modern perspective. And to to especially with everything going on today, to deal with essentially an episode that is about gender identity and sexuality. Yeah, fifty years before that was a thing. But to not be about that at the same time like it doesn't, it doesn't say it it's not about that that mm. is just the themes of it yeah it's when um you know that argument about tell me what this film's about without actually telling me the plot yeah that's it it's about these things but it never says that's what it's about it's there yeah but it never expressively says it i love i love metamorphosis i've grown to really pre- like the conscience of the king which is an incredibly literate episode Right. That I only grew to appreciate when your mum was doing Open University English Lit. Okay. And she watched that one. And all of a sudden there was kind of like that light bulb overhead that this isn't just a silly little sci-fi show that I like. Yeah. There's there's thought behind this. Because yeah. there's loads of Shakespeare in that episode. Mm. Literally the plot is ripped from Shakespeare. Yeah. And there's loads of quotes from it as there's well. A, I mean, I think there's a lot of Shakespeare running through a lot of it. Elements of it, or at least the, the, the kind of vibe mm. of it i think a lot of it stems from shakespeare and that's something i think moving forward star trek lost yes. that the original had once you get past like enterprise and voyager and so on yeah it does have that shakespearean gravitas anyway yeah. but like yeah metamorphosis is one of those episodes that has really risen mm. in my appreciation as i've got older yeah this whole idea that it doesn't matter who you love mm. And it shouldn't matter. Yeah. And frankly, it's not a your business. Yeah. Who I love. Yeah. And that that whole thematic element of it, which is something that, again, is very recent and very modern Mm. in a show from 55 years ago. Yeah. And I think that's, regardless of who Roddenberry was, it's a representation of what he wanted. Yeah. That is a perfect example of what Roddenberry's Star Trek is. Well, this this is also the thing about art and artist. Yeah. Is that, Roddenberry's idea of a utopian future, what he would like, what he sees mankind aspire to be, mm. is quite frankly the complete opposite of what he was. Yeah. 
you know, he was a money grabbing womanizer. <laughs> but he invent but he, he foresaw this future where money wasn't the big driving force anymore. Yeah. And women had equal position. Well, there's a there's a great bit, I think it's a, a next generation episode where they bring back people from the past and he's like, Well, I, I need to check on my financial Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The and Picard's just like we don't have things like that anymore. We yeah. don't have wants. We just we have everything. We're happy. Yeah, we, we don't, don't we don't care. We we share the wealth. Yeah. Nobody's poor. Nobody's hungry. Yeah. Nobody doesn't have a house. Yeah. It's we've we've got to the point where we realise that if any one of us is living on the streets, that belittles us all. Yeah. And maybe we should do something about it because we can. Mm. We could, I don't know, spend billions on on maybe providing some social housing instead of buying a social media platform. <laughs> Especially when you've just gone to the United Nations and said, I've got the money to end world hunger. Give me five reasons why I should. Yeah. So, I mean, if there was like well, a I contemporary mean, of that, I don't know. You know, especially if that contemporary is getting name dropped in this same show. Yeah, Discovery, I think they look back on that a little bit. You say, should absolutely be embarrassed yeah. about that. Let's look up to the Emerald Mine owner. Poor Jason Isaacs. <laughs> but anyway anyway uh so to carry on with season two uh did i watch that one you must have watched journey to babel it's got spock's mum and dad yeah, in it. yeah 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 yeah. uh i don't think i watched friday's child friday's child is fine yes i do have that one because that's the one where is that the one where bones ends up delivering catwoman's baby dad? yeah yeah and the baby's called leonard james yeah, <laughs> obviously I've seen Troubles with, uh, Trouble with Tribbles. Everyone's seen Tribbles. Uh, I've seen The Gamesters of Triskelion. The Gamesters of Triskelion is yep. the episode everybody thinks this is what Star Trek is. Right. Basically, Kirk's on the planet with Lady Gaga. He's got to <laughs> fight weird aliens with no top on. Yeah. They have that entire conversation about what is love. Yeah. He does the whole monologue about the stars in the sky. <laughs> and it's deeply stupid. And there's a heavy implication that Uhura is raped. Yeah. Which is deeply distasteful. And yet, I can't hate that episode. <laughs> because it is just so butt-numbingly stupid. It's... Yeah, it's like what everyone thinks Star Trek is. Yeah, but... is in that one episode. Yeah. What is this thing you call love? Yeah. Oh, well, I can show you. Yeah, <laughs> it's just... Everything bad about Star Trek in one episode. But it's an episode that isn't in itself bad. Yeah. I quite like that one, even though it's dumb. <laughs> uh, so after that is a piece of the action, which is great for Shatner alone. Yes, absolutely brilliant. Stells that episode. Yeah, oh, um, the Fizzbin. They were learning to drive. Yeah, you were an excellent Starship captain. <laughs> you are a terrible driver. It's great stuff. <laughs> absolutely, I love a piece of the action. Because I love a piece of the action because it shows what happens when the Prime Directive does is broken. Yeah. They've been given this information that they shouldn't have been given. Yeah. And this has gone wrong. Yeah. Next. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that was just a very fun episode. So after that, I think the next one I watched was The Ultimate Computer. Which is one of the best episodes of the series. Mm. I love that um, one. I genuinely think that's a great Kirk episode. Again, it's very John Henry. Yeah. Very Because he has that whole thing. The, the, all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by. Yeah. And if you take away the wind and if you take away the sails, the stars are still their bones. Yeah. I love that bit. Well, I've, even even now when you've got the new, the new McDonald's popped up that's fully, not fully automated. There's still people in the back cooking the food. Well. But you press it on the you computer and a, and a conveyor belt brings it out. So... 
I, I know the story of John Henry Irons is, is <laughs> never really been not topical, but, you know, again, in Star Trek, it's... Yeah. It's, yeah. It seems to have more resonance in Star Trek because they are such a very technologically based society, though. But still need for but people. You, but humanity is still an important part of it. It's balancing, you know, you synthesize food with the humanity of it, though. Yeah. It's like when you go to the supermarket now and they want you to check your own food out. If right. you want me to be a till operator, you should be giving me a discount on my food, <laughs> basically. Because oh no, I prefer the self checkout because it means I don't have to talk to anyone else. I know, but at the end of the day, that Asda is now three quarters self checkout, right? Okay. And only a couple of places for people to actually check you out. Yeah, and I'm, I don't know, it just doesn't make me comfortable. And as as it leans into in the show a bit is once you start having computers that can do everything people do less people yes. suffer where's your jobs we, your... we come wally yeah and my problem with wally is people have looked at wally and gone that's a good idea <laughs> and not maybe we should get off our asses a bit more and do some exercise <laughs> well um it's just made humanity less human yeah and we just all sat at home on netflix elder yeah that's, that's pretty much it and it was that it for season two? Did you not bother um, with any more? Because I know I told you two, Omega Glory was crap. Bread and Circuses was the last one that I watched. Really? Because Bread and Circuses is just Patterns of Force. It's just a piece of the action. It's exactly the same plot. Oh, yeah. Um, I just thought it was mildly entertaining for what it was. And it's always interesting to see piece of the action is set in like the 1940s, yeah. 50s kind of thing. Whereas Bread and Circuses... What if we do roam in the future on an alien planet? Yeah, and it's very much a spoof on television. Yeah. And they're playing with that whole idea that the gladiatorial arena yeah. was the television of the day. Oh, I like... Um, Gladiators yeah. is a perfect example of it, and even shows that we've got now, these kind Big of... Big Brother and all that stuff. Yeah. The reality shows. So even then, even when it's being kind of derivative mm. it's still not wrong in what it's saying no it's still say the the only problem is it seems to me that the second season had quite a lot of those episodes filmed in quick succession okay like if patterns of force had been episode two of the second season yeah bread and circus has been episode 13 and the other one what was the other one bread and circus patterns of force and um the Omega Glory, yeah. which is the American Constitution devol- evolves on another planet as well. Okay. If those episodes had been split up a bit more, yeah. perhaps there wouldn't have been the well, feeling that I feel like they were running out of money. Yeah. They walked around the back lot and went, well, we've got a Roman stage. <laughs> we've got a, a New York stage with some old cars. Yeah. We've got the obviously we've got a constitution line well, around. We were just saying as well, like patterns of force is exactly the same. Yeah, we've got some German outfits the yeah. lying around. You know, and so let's, and it seems like they filmed those four in relatively close succession. Budget and time restraints yeah. took over. And the fact that they're as good as they are <clears throat> is a testament to how good season two is mm. when Gene Kuhn was in charge of it because Roddenberry was off doing something else. Okay. And then Roddenberry comes back and he doesn't like the amount of humour that Gene Kuhn has introduced into the show. Okay. So suddenly the show becomes more serious again. And, Which is interesting, considering where it's going to go in season three. But the hypothesis of that is Fred Freiberger, who comes in for season three, and feels that Star Trek shouldn't have any humour in it at all. And I'm like, <laughs> did did you watch the show you were taking over? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Again, that's... also, it's interesting to say that 
he didn't want any humour in, considering where season three goes. Yeah, but the problem with season three is a lot of the humour isn't intentionally funny. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it kicks off with Spock's brain, which I don't think is the worst episode ever. Right. But it's not good. Well, it was a skipper. Yes. <laughs> that, which is fine. <laughs> which meant, and I watched I watched very little of season three. I told you to watch very little of season three. I think and there's maybe five good episodes I, in season three. I, th- I think I've got to confess as well, seeing where the quality was going, I burned out of this show very fast. Well, what was interesting to me was, irrespective of me, irrespective of what you know about the show, yeah. you spotted that the third season was of a much lower quality just well, by watching it. The first one I watched was The Enterprise Incident. Which isn't a bad one. No, but it's not... Enterprise Incident was the pinpoint moment where I went, this isn't the same show. Yeah. I kind of want to jump off this boat now. Why? What was it about Enterprise Incident? There's, well, like you said, it wasn't knowingly funny. It yeah. was silly and stupid as hell, but I didn't know that it was... Yeah, silly it's stupid. like you can't imagine them putting Kirk in Vulcan makeup. I know it was Romulan, don't write it. In Romulan makeup, Vulcan well, makeup. Even Romulan and Vulcan are the same yeah. thing because of you know budget reasons. Yeah, you, they can't imagine putting Kirk in that makeup in season two and there not being a cute little Kirk spot gag moment. Well, uh, yeah, there is, I mean, there is a cute bit which is like, I was getting used to these ears. Yeah, go and bob your ears. Yeah. But that, that's it. God, what was it as... I swear there is a cute moment between the two of them where it's like, oh, I said I, I, I looked good in them or something. It's like, hmm, illogical. Yeah, yeah. There's, 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 yeah, there's a little bit because it still retains Dorothy Fontana's original idea. But there was just something about it, the way it was filmed, the way it was acted, the way it was written, that it wasn't, it wasn't bad, but it was the first episode that I'd watched where, A, I was getting bored. Yeah. It didn't grab me. It wasn't... It just wasn't the same show, or at least it didn't have that quality that all the other episodes had had. See, this is interesting, because well, firstly, the third season, Shatner's caricature comes from the third season. Yeah. Because suddenly, people have defended him, mm-hmm. saying that in the third season, Nimoy goes practically somnambulistic, okay. because he's bored. Yeah. The scripts aren't ent- interested in him. They're not giving him anything interesting to do. Yeah. He's in real life he's spiraling off into alcoholism. Right, okay. Because he's just bored. Yeah. So he just becomes more robotic in the third season. Shatner compensates for the bad quality of the scripts by, by trying to be more entertaining on screen. Right. I don't know how much validity there is in that argument, mm. but it seems plausible. It works, yeah. Yeah. He's trying to at least keep people engaged in the fact that the stories aren't any good anymore. Yeah. But I'm at least going to try and give you your money's worth. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's good and it's understandable, but yeah. But there's other people. Other people have pointed out aesthetic choices. Uhura's her is much more late sixties, early seventies in right. season three. It starts becoming more. Yeah. Of the times. Roddenberry's not there to go. No, that's not a futuristic hairstyle. That's now. Knock it off. When Star Trek was timeless, it's now become time-stamped. The sideburns. Okay. They don't have the pointed sideburns in season three. Right. So suddenly you've got Scotty with sideburns all the way down his face because it's 1969. Okay. Roddenberry kept on top of that yeah. and said, no, it isn't 1970, it's 90, it's 23, whatever. Yeah. And it's little things like that that date the third season more. Okay, yeah. And those are all aesthetic things that I probably didn't notice as a kid. Yeah. But subconsciously, 
you're suddenly aware you're watching well, an old a, it's, TV it's show. It's an interesting point because I think I pointed out to you even in the the HD remasters, the first season, especially of Next Generation, is more dated than the first two seasons of, of the Star Trek ever were. I yeah. I maintain Star Trek in 1986 mm-hmm. was less dated than the Next Generation in 2007. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Star Trek dated less in 20 years than The Next Generation did. Yeah. But some of that is down to technological advancement. Yeah, that's true. Uh, watching uh, Deep Space Nine that wasn't remastered yeah. looks garbage. It looks awful. Compared to you know the original Star yeah. Trek. But also in terms of technology, if you think about it, when I was growing up, TV shows and films from the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s would regularly be rerun because nothing okay. changed. Yeah. TVs were bulkier, but they were still TVs. Yeah. Phones were bulkier, but they were still phones and cars. Technology did not change much yeah. in between 1955 and 1995. And then suddenly in 1995, the home computer's ubiquitous. The mobile phone starts coming into use. Yeah. And then the technological advancements from 1995 onwards are a quantum leap. So you've got these shows that are so technologically advanced, but when your actual technology is advancing... Yeah, there is more technology now in your phone, in your pocket, Mm. than was used to make the original Star Trek special effects. Well, I don't mind that necessarily, I guess, provided it doesn't look like that. Like, I, I know that the original Star Trek is just a cheap set. But yeah. The way that it's it's designed... It was made in a Hollywood basement. <laughs> the way that it's designed and the way that it the, you know, the, the actors work with it yeah. look, makes it look less detailed. I think you are more detailed than the next generation yes. where you go for these sleek touchscreen type things and all of a sudden it's... No, give me... Give me the toggle switches. There's something about... Give me the gel lights. You, do you know what I mean when I like the Jetsons idea of what yeah. the future looks like? Ray guns and rocket ships. Yeah, it looks more believable than anything else because it's not. So if you give me this idea of the future which is so stylized, I can't disprove it. Yeah. I can't say that looks dated because it looks of that style of that time. It's the Battlestar, the new Battlestar. I say new, it's 20 years old now. What Battlestar <laughs> Galactica did. Yeah. It was all toggle switches and and mm. what's it? And you're kind of like, well, it's supposed to look old. Yeah. The Galactica is an old ship. If there was a Star Trek show that looked like the Jetsons, mm. that would be, regardless of when it was done, that would be perfectly fine because that's a timeless thing. Yeah. But when you start going, but no, what would things actually look like? Definitely in 10, 20 years, and it's 10, 20 years later, and you've, yeah. you've diverged so much. That's when you lose credibility, I think. See, it's like, what do you think... Of, we've not got to the end of season three yet, but what do you think of the aesthetic of the Abrams movies? I have only ever seen the first one. Right. And I've only ever seen it in the cinema. It's something that I'm going to watch after the Next Generation stuff, because I know that it's technically a continuation. Yes, it is, yeah. So it is on the, the watch list, but I've never actually seen it since we saw it in the cinema, and even then, my distinct memory of that film is, he just wants to do a Star Wars film. See, the un- the updating of the uniforms is fine. I like the updating of the original series uniforms. Yeah. I think that bridge is more dated now 
than the original. It's more clean, isn't it? Everything. Has yeah, to be it's like an Apple clean. store. Yeah, That's what people yeah. compare it to. And the thing of it is, if you took the sets from the original show now, but filmed them with today's technology, yeah, and you may have to rebuild them for HD TV, but if you still use that same aesthetic, yeah, but you shot it as a modern show, mm-hmm. that original bridge still holds up. Prime example, relics. Yeah, yeah. When you get there. Yeah. So anyway, is that where you ditched season three? No, I carried on with it. I think I watched Spectre of the Gun. Only because I told you it was the first you... episode I ever saw. And you know what? It's a good one. It's good. And I think it falls apart in the climax. Do you not Spock's mind meld? No, just more of a case of the delivery of it. The whole mm. kind of, if I don't believe I'm going to get shot the delivery of it kind of just makes it a bit more unbelievable. And then it becomes a fist fight. Yeah. Like all third season episodes. Yeah. Uh, but so... I, I love Spectre of the Gun because I love that no captain, because he, he has that whole thing, it didn't work. And mm. Spock's like, no, it can't not work. And Kirk's like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, science yeah. will tell you that if we put this chemical with this chemical, this reaction will happen. But it didn't. But yeah. it didn't. Yeah. Therefore... We are not in a world where science works. Yeah. And that leads... I liked that. It's one of the... It's Spock being smart mm. in a way that Kirk didn't get because yeah. they eventually got to the point where Shatner didn't want Spock to be seen as smarter than Kirk. Oh, right. So, so they always had to have that... More. They always had to have that thing where Spock would say something that made Kirk go... Ah, right, okay. But that one, Spot gets his moment. Yeah, he gets to say, "No, you don't understand, Captain. It can't not work." Yeah, it's the laws of physics. I think it would have. If been... I drop an apple, it will fall. Had it been a season two episode, I think it would have been better. The Spectre. See, this is how I measure things. Spectre of the Gun is a mediocre second season episode, mm. but it's a great episode by the standards of the third season. But what I mean is, it's only let down by. How reserved the performances are. Yeah. It never it, they never nail down the performances to just kind of make you care enough in that final act, and that's that's why I didn't like. I it do as like much. the fake sets. Oh, I love the fake sets because yeah. this is again how do you deal with a low budget? Yeah. You we, make we, it a We part don't build of the, the full show, set yeah. and we make it. They've took this from your memory. You don't know what the inside of this building looked like. And but just that kind of uh, running theme of we know we're gonna die at this time. How do we stop our yeah. own future from happening? Well, my favourite thing about that is another one of those examples of Kirk has to be smarter than everyone yeah. else. Yeah. He knows exactly when the OK Corral took place. <laughs> just he knows all of these He people, knows you know? all of the <laughs> yeah. names. It's just <laughs> off the, the exact, top of the his head. Times yeah. as well. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, Jim. I think I enjoyed it as much as I did as well because I, I just enjoy westerns. I just like westerns. And it is Star Trek as a proper western. And, and let's be honest, Star Trek? It is a Western. It's a Western. Yeah, Yeah. the original is a Western. The the Frontier. Yeah. It is a Western, yeah. It totally is a Western. Uh, But moving on from that, I saw Day of the Dove. See, I don't think that's as good as everyone says it is. It was fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, But I think that's that's the kind of theme with a lot of these, is that they're just... The only other one worth watching at that point is All Our Yesterdays, which is City and Legend Forever again, but with Spark. And you know what? That might be it, because I've not seen Let This Be Your Last Battlefield. I'd see the thing with Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, I'm old enough to remember when everyone derided that episode for being too on the nose about racism. 
Yeah. And now we've gone through the other side. It's now one of the most lauded episodes for that reason. Okay. And it's still as, you know, it's still as obvious as it ever was. Mm. I think I might have watched all our yesterdays. Probably me tapped out of the But I did say turn up, watch Turnabout Intruder only for Shatner's performance. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is incredibly sexist and incredibly over the top, but so much fun. It's just, I think I got to this point now, just on these last few third season episodes, and especially knowing that the films are going to come up next. Now, other than two and three, I've never seen any of the films Well, before before we get on to the films, you want to bring Dana in to talk about the show? Yeah, but where I was going was, I just tapped out. I did not like where this ride was going. No, that's fair enough. I just wanted to jump ship, because it wasn't wasn't the same show. No. Season three is not the same quality of show that one and two was. There's five good episodes. Mm. If that. And even then, most of them are more fun than they are good, I think. And this is from somebody who can watch any episode of the original Star Trek and enjoy it because it's yeah. that that cast playing those characters. Well, even these lists that I was following in the the same article, there was these episodes are the important ones. Yeah. So they set up these races, they set up these themes. These are the best of ones, so they might not be important, but they're really good. Yeah, like the Enterprise incident's the first mention of a cloaking device, yeah. which going forward is important. Yeah. Um, there's there was another list for if you just want some Bones, Spock, and Kirk stuff. Which yeah. I always would tap into that list because I'd love those three. They're perfect. Yeah, well, again, Patterns of Force has some great Kirk, Spock, McCoy stuff. McCoy bitching all the way through the episode that his German boots don't fit properly. <laughs> yeah. It's genuinely funny. And I think one of the reasons why, well, actually, the sole thing that 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 grabbed me into the Next Generation so early was Riker. In one character mm-hmm. is Bones, Spock, and, McC- uh, and Kirk. It, All in, in one. It, it just in one. I don't think he's Spock. He's not that smart. Wow. Um, but and then the other list was just um, the finalist was Star Trek does really really bad, really really fun. Yeah. Uh, which I mean I guess that's a good thing about that is that even at your worst, people can find something entertaining about yes. you. There is only one episode of the original series that I think is genuinely unwatchable. Right. And that's And the Children Shall Lead. Mm. Which is god-awful. Okay. Absolutely terrible. Notable only for the the real-life lawyer Melvin Belly appears in it. Right. And there is a film... God, I texted you about it. Mark Ruffalo's in it. That has Melvin Belly in it. Right. Played by Brian Cox. Not the scientist. <laughs> And someone actually says to him, I saw you on Star Trek. Yeah. That, that's that's the greatest contribution right. to uh, to pop culture. Okay. But even episodes that are truly not good, like Spock's Brain. Spock's Brain is fun. It's yeah. dumb as a bag of cats. Even bad, there's fun. Yeah, but it's fun. Yeah. And, and Away to Eden, the Space Hippies one, mm. is awful. Yeah. But it's funny. But a part of me, I mean, years and years and years after the fact, a part of me thinks it's a shame that a show that was so different and so good and so, so innovative. Good. And... So yeah, all, all of these things. So even now, sixty years later, yeah, plus, nearly. So topical, relevant, progressive, progressive was just reduced to well, if that. not well, if nothing else, it's fun. Yeah, is is a shame. Yeah. I think it's, it's they like, had gold know. and they let it slip. Yeah, that they went from those highs. Yeah. Of Corbin might manoeuvre and City on the Edge of Forever and End of Mercy mm. to The Way to Eden. I genuinely think 
that original show, regardless of whatever, and regardless of everything that came afterwards, it's a beautiful show for all of the right and wrong reasons. Mm. It's this perfect amalgamation of, and as they discuss in the show, even if it's not right, even it's still good and human, and it's it's just a great yeah. show, yeah. And one of the things you learn from it is if you take the third season out of the equation... Mm. It's not just Nimoy who's capable of great subtlety in his acting. Shatner's yeah. good at it as well. Shatner's great at it. And especially as we go on with the films, because one of the things that I love about the films is they're no longer the Bones, Kirk and Spock show. They allow the other cast mm. to actually be important for the first time. Well, there's also as well, is... one of the things about that is the menagerie gave the show a history. Mm-hmm. The USS Enterprise was a spaceship before Kirk came on board. Yeah. So there's weight given to the show there. Yeah. And by never having a first episode, you've got all those in your imagination, you've got all these other adventures that those crews could have had. Yeah. Did Pike ever serve with Kirk? Yeah. All that stuff. Now, in the menagerie, I think Kirk says, I only ever met Pike at the handover ceremony. Yeah. So that's kind of, that one line has restricted Strange New Worlds considerably. <laughs> but how open the show yeah, is. Yeah, but that opened it up. Yeah. That there were missions, though, with an entirely different crew mm-hmm. that you can imagine. And then yeah. suddenly the films come along and they allow for the passage of time. Yes, which, well, we'll get up to this. Yeah, we'll get not. to the films in a minute, but do you want to bring Dana in? Dana! Because I like the other perspective. Of Would you the, like to be a special guest? The about? youth. Right, we've already mentioned that the reason for this is, on Twitter, people your age consider the original show to be deeply problematic now. And one of the things about you two watching it, you have to come in a bit because the microphone's there. This is Dana, Michael's girlfriend. You can't hear her yet. <laughs> well, there, there you go. So what, you kind of fell into it because he was watching it. Yeah, so um, I was just doing whatever on my phone and um, Mike was watching it and um, in my house growing up, we never watched Star Trek. It was always Star Wars. Uh, so I had no we idea what it was. Well, had no idea what it was. And I'm watching and I'm like, those costumes are silly. Oh, he seems like a little bit of a rogue. Um, it it, it and... was the enemy within that grabbed you, wasn't it? Which one was that one? Evil Kirk. <gasps> yes. <laughs> See, what's fascinating about that is we've already talked about this. Everyone points to that one now. Spock makes a rape gag at the end of the episode. He jokes with Yeoman Rand. No, to be honest, I don't remember that. About the evil Kirk having certain interesting qualities. Because I remember that he goes after that woman. He goes after Yeoman Rand. And Kirk's horrified by the fact that other Kirk tried to rape her. Mm. Spock makes a joke about it. Spock. <laughs> so that's but th- this is more a case of a, a, let's be honest the, if there is a a subtext to this episode and we all know that people who do subtext are cowards <laughs> if there is a subtext to this episode it is the re- the redemption of james t kirk yeah i mean he is the hero i'm who doesn't want to be james t kirk i want to be james t kirk i want to be under james t kirk <laughs> doesn't everybody <laughs> I mean... when he wore the eyeliner Oh. He, has, he wears a lot of eyeliner. Because <laughs> Shatner felt that he's, one of his best features was his eyes. 
So he would regularly ask the director to put the little black under his eyes and then shoot with a light on his eyes. They do that a lot. Yep. It's, it's darker on the face, but the eyes. But the eyes, because yeah. he felt that was one of his best features. Okay. But, um, I, I really liked the original series. I thought it was very good. I And when Mike moved on to Next Generation, it didn't capture me. I wasn't bothered. Right. I don't know why I wasn't enjoying it. I like Patrick Stewart. He's very good, and I love um, the guy with the... Wolf? Wolf. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Nice tea. I like them, but uh, I really like the original series. And when you were saying, "Oh, people find it problematic," I guess I can just look past it. It's not. I've, I didn't think, "Oh, that's really bad." Like obviously, the 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 rape gag was very bad. But mm-hmm. apart from that, I I really enjoyed the original like, show. That's just how the times were, or because. But I also the... thought it was very progressive. There was yeah. there were definitely parts where I thought it was very a horror. Yeah. Love a horror. And that's something the next generation didn't get. No, the next generation just put all the women back into nurturing roles. Well, not necessarily that, but you've got, on the bridge alone, you've got um, a black member of staff, an Asian member of staff, mm-hmm. a European member of staff. The next generation... Didn't really do that. Is, is you've got guys in the background wearing dresses, but you've not got a... a you don't have as big of a diverse a cast. Yeah. I feel like that Ahura made such an impact being a, a black woman who was also a main character, who wasn't just a background character. She was actually doing something. And then the next generation, it's like, yeah, you've got Georgie LaForge, whatever. But you, it, You've it got Deanna have, being the counsellor. Troy yeah, who just it, says, it just didn't feel like, it was like such a, didn't yeah. feel like such a big impact as she had. All right. Well, we're going to go into the movies. So did Which... you watch the movies? <laughs> oh. My favourite text from you. <laughs> This, this was my favourite text from Michael and Dana while they were watching these. So you watch Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. We'll go back and do the motion picture. Yeah. And Spock dies, which oh. you didn't know was going to happen. You're no. weeping. Which was great. I'm crying my eyes Because that's a prime example of, you know, there is no statute of limitation on spoilers. Mm. You didn't know Spock was dying. And you texted me, what did you say? The next one's so, called... <laughs> so this is Dana's, Dana's crying, and she goes... And what's interesting was, it was only the week before on, on one of our weekly nights out, me and Ama were discussing Wrath of Khan, and we're quoting, yeah. of all the souls I've known, his was the most human. <laughs> and that bit, even when... You're, you're welling up now! Nothing. So we're watching this, and Dana just starts crying, because she loves these characters at this point. Yeah. Uh, and when he... Dies and he bond. passes and he says for needs the many and they hold hands through the, the glass. Yeah, but they can't touch. Yeah. And then just the bit where and again, as we were saying earlier, Shatner's performance of all the souls I've known across all my travels, his was the most human. All of a sudden there's this wail from the <laughs> other sofa. She's bawling. <laughs> I goes, I can't believe it did. I was like, Dana, Dana. It's an optimistic ending. It's about life from death and rebirth. And he's an old man, but he feels young again. It's optimistic. If it makes you feel any better, the next film is called The Search for Spock. But what if they don't find him? <laughs> I love the naivete of that. Well, it's not called you know, Star Trek 3, We Find Spock. <laughs> it's it's called that's The Search true. for Spock. They may never have found him. That's... It could have been two hours of, well, he's not here. <laughs> On to the next part. It could have been that. Wouldn't that have been a brilliant film? Oh, well, didn't find it. Never mind. <laughs> a fleet catch up going, you stole that fucking shit. Yeah, can we have our shit back now, Jim? Please. Unpopular opinion. I really loved the fourth film. 
about saving the whales. Everyone loves the fourth one. I love that one. The, the fourth the one's a piece one. of the action. It's yeah, a romp. Yeah, it is. It, it kind of throws away the gravitas and seriousness of it, but uh, but that is where it is the most fun, I yeah. think. And it, uh, I think you pointed out to me, it, it allowed all the other characters to be main characters. Yeah, they all got other stuff to do. Yeah. Like like Chekhov and Uhura looking for the nuclear vessels <laughs> in, in Alameda. That is what they said. The Enterprise! <laughs> what really are the odds? I really liked that. I really liked it. I feel like George Takai got um, less time on the screen. Well, there was a scene where he met his great-great-great-grandchild that got cut because the kid Aww. couldn't perform. Aww. So that got edited I out. You made a great gag as well where he's speaking to the guy in the helicopter. He's like, ah, show me around. Next thing you know, he's got the helicopter and Dane just goes, is there a deleted scene here where he talks to this guy or he's just left to, you know, assume, <laughs> assume how we got that use of the helicopter? Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh. Nice cockpit. <laughs> Eddie, okay. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. No, it's all right. Also, James T. Kirk is a raging bisexual. <laughs> there, I said it. <laughs> Go. Slash fiction. Anyway, it's cock, not it's yeah, but again, there's a there's an interpretation there. Mm. That's a valid interpretation of the show. It is because it's not like there's anything there to say there isn't. I yeah. I could perfectly believe that James T. Kirk would stick it in the mud if it was warm and wriggly. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a bit of a hardy devil. He was, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so anyway, you go to the next the the the, the, the films. I'm more interested in what you thought of Star Trek the Motion Picture for Star Trek Five. I Oh, Star Trek Five I have controversial opinions on. Oh good. Well I'm looking forward to that then. Before we get to the yeah, okay. I loved the motion picture. Good man. It's This is why you're my son. And I watched to go back earlier, I, I have Paramount Plus, and Paramount Plus I think was the first time that the new 4K director's mm. final cut was, was released. So yeah. I think I think I saw that before you did, didn't I? Yeah, probably. Because you even said it was unfinished, and I'm watching it going, I don't know, this seems pretty polished to me. Right, yeah, because I didn't know the director's edition was on the UK Paramount Plus. Mm. Well, I, I looked it up beforehand to justify my subscription cost. Yeah. Paramount Plus was, so all the new 4K releases yeah. premiered on Paramount Plus first. Right. Um, and so it took me a while to get into the motion picture, to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, it's spaceship porn yes there's what like a five to ten minute sequence of Scotty just... just flies around the Enterprise literally yeah. <laughs> and you've just got Kirk making orgasm faces <laughs> all the way through it you've got Kirk is the bad guy yes he really is he's selfish he's at he's his most dickish in that he film. pulls rank to get yep. what he wants um, he goes behind people's backs to get what he wants. A genuine sense that time has passed for us and the actors. Yeah. And I, th- I think I brought this up to you um, in maybe the Hey Kids special. You listen to that as well. Um, in that no one is comfortable with this film. Yeah. The actors are unsettled. You're unsettled. It's only about the halfway point where things start being. When Spock shows up. When, and again, one of the great bits, and I know Dana likes this well, it's just. Spock, just sit down. <laughs> Would you please sit down? Uh, Bones is disco suit. Yeah, and the disco, the comedy beard. But then... My favourite bit about Bones, though, he's, yeah. he's got a legitimate gripe there about the transporter beam. We have yeah. just seen two yeah. people die in the transporter. Yeah. yeah. And McCoy and everyone's like, why don't you come on the transporter? Is... No! 
And it, it, it's, it's the truthful thing. I mean, we just watched, uh, it was either an episode of Breaking Bad or El Camino, yeah. where Jesse's mates are, are arguing, just going, no, the transporters are evil killing machines. Yeah, cause they, don't, they don't move you, don't they, they break they you break, down they to They disassemble atoms. you, yeah. yes, and then reassemble you at the other side. I, you, you understand Bones. It's like, yeah, no, that, that, that. Yeah, and as a like, doctor, yeah, exactly. Bones is like, not a chance. I, but that actually... I think it was like this kind of interesting things about it and it felt like not to use such a throwaway term but Star Trek was adult now it's like here's just this throwaway gimmick device throughout our show but it just murdered some people because it yeah. is a dangerous piece of machinery yeah if it's not calibrated properly you get these episodes where it's hey it's a transporter malfunction episode but no this is what a does that really mean malfunction. yeah yeah he, you know, it was interesting seeing it kind of modernised. It definitely felt uh, with late 70s, early 80s. Mm. But then you, something happens in the halfway point where it becomes Star Trek again and everything feels right and you're comfortable. And then the plot twist is... Voyager. It's just a ship. Yeah. Voyager, this alien race, is just it's just a man-made... Like ship that was just sent into space. It's something we did come to bite us on the earth. Just, well, it was just something mundane. Yeah, it's something from our lifetime. Yeah. We've all seen uh, the, the like sa- satellites. Up, yeah. yeah, and so to have this big mystery just boil down to it's just something normal. Yeah, it felt weirdly right. Yeah, I love Star Trek the motion picture. Mm. I think you're right. I think it is. It's grown up. It's Star Trek grown up a bit. Yeah. It doesn't end in a fist fight. It ends with your characters thinking. Yeah. They, they you know, the, it's not, it doesn't end with a big fight. Yeah. It's just, what is this? What does this mean? Yeah. And Spock's emotional arc is quite impressive in that one. Mm. Is this all that I am? Is there nothing more? Well, I think Spock is the backbone of these films. Mm. He's, if, if there's a main character in any of them, it's, it's Spock. Well, I remember an interview with William Shatner around the time of Star Trek Three, where they were on about, well, could you have carried on without Leonard? Right. And he was like, we probably could have, but it wouldn't be as good. Yeah, and I always think of the two of them, because they fell out, didn't they? They, they had a, a, a rambunctious relationship over the years. So it's, I always kind of, in this last year, um, saw the two of them as a, a kind of Kurosawa and Mifune thing. Yeah. The, the two of them... The Mifune is in a lot of Kurosawa films, but they fell out um, disastrously. So they stopped talking to each other, but there was still that backbone of respect to the point where, at Mifune's funeral, Kurosawa couldn't bring himself to go because, regardless of the fact that they hated each other, they were still best friends, hmm. and he couldn't bring himself to go to his best friend's funeral, so he wrote a letter to have read at the funeral. And that's kind of how I always pictured around this time and after Star Trek, hmm. Shatner and Nimoy, and that they didn't like each other. They'd fallen out and argued and maybe hadn't spoken to each other, but they were still, they were still friends who respected yeah. each other. Because there were a lot of people on his back about why he didn't go to Nimoy's funeral, and there was probably a lot of reasons. Mm. But I know Nimoy's kids have subsequently said Bill was always good to us. Mm. There was the, we never had any friction with him. I just like some of the characters in Star Trek. You don't have to like them to respect them. Yeah, and um, it's you know these two 
And they were best friends. If you watch some of the stuff on the Roddenberry Vault, like I think I watched it the last time I was yeah. here, I watched yours. They were best friends offset. Yeah. So it's a shame that there was the, the falling. But anyway, we've we've done the motion picture and the other ones. So following Nimoy directing. Well, Wrath of Calm, yeah. great. It's Moby Dick. Yes. It's a great film. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's not really a lot you can say about Wrath of Khan that hasn't been covered loads of places elsewhere. So to start It's the one my granddad liked. <laughs> because basically it's the Navy in space. Yeah. It's Horatio Harnblower. And he, he can relate to that. Mm-hmm. He could latch onto that. Yeah. So because all the captain on the bridge, all that stuff. He was he lived he, he li- yeah, so he could relate to that. Well I think and again that's one of the best things about Star Trek is that it is it's real. Yeah. It's not you See, can... it bugs me when he says they're not the military. They if they're are. not the military, why do they still follow all these naval traditions? Well, no, okay, so I think there's an argument there, and one of the best examples this is a, is a next-gen episode where they travel through time and the Enterprise is now a warship. Yeah, dressed as Enterprise. I don't think the Federation is the military. Now, it might... Starfleet is the military. No, no, well, it might follow military codes and regulations, but military implies war yeah they're not soldiers they're explorers see i think kirk was a soldier and i don't think there's a correct word or organization to compare them to yeah yet potentially yeah Yeah. is the best way that they could relate them to us is it's the navy but they're not yeah because the navy were there for war they were there to fight Starfleet and the Federation are there to explore. Mm. And that's the most interesting thing about them, I think. They're not there to fight. Yeah. Um, and it was only that episode of Next Gen that reminded me, like, they're not a warship. Yeah. They are just exploring. Yeah, they're just out there seeing what's out there. Um, but yeah, Rathacon's great. Star Trek 3? I like Star Trek 3. I love Star Trek 3. Yeah. Uh, TV show on the big screen. Yeah, it's got no, it's got no budget. Nimoy's directing is flat, stiffer than a yeah something stiff. Yep, but it's great. It's got great Shatner bits. Yeah, Shatner's brilliant. In Christopher it. Lloyd's great in it. I love Christopher Lloyd. Um, D. Kelly's brilliant in it. Yeah, the it, it's it's a overindulgent, bloated, cheap episode of the show yeah but it's it, it, it it's great and how it continues um well it's the middle episode of the trilogy isn't it yeah. technically but it's just it it gets overlooked but i've always had a soft spot for it and even watching it recently it's and it's just, so it, tight it's yeah, only 100 no, it minutes really long is, yeah my problem with it is they ignore a lot of the ramifications of genesis so Genesis mm-hmm. has happened on this planet and they've literally only dispatched a science ship. Yeah. Nothing though with any armament just in case the Klingons show up. Yeah. Nothing like that. But there's also what they lean into more so than that, I think, is the kind of desperation of these characters. Kirk commits a felony yeah. for the sake of his best friend that he doesn't even know mm-hmm. if he is alive or not. And McCoy, he does it for McCoy because McCoy's going mad. Oh, God, yeah. McCoy won't survive this. Yeah. Oh, and even bits where just he, he walks into his room and says, Jim, yeah. take me home, Jim. See, everyone overlooks uh, that. Everyone, he does this for Spock. He does this for Spock. But if he doesn't do it, Spock's dead, whatever. McCoy goes insane. But the most interesting thing is he does it 
for himself, mm. but not because he's being selfish, but because he's dealing with grief. Yeah. You know, you hear a lot of stories where people lose a loved one, and it's just, um, you know, I could hear them, I could see them. Kirk literally does. I mean, I, I know it's explained with the whole psychic Vulcan thing, but Kirk is going through genuine, literal grief. Yeah. And he's willing to lose his own life and career just to know that his friend's okay. Yeah. Uh, it's It's really... Whether it's because of its budget or how it looks or the delivery, I know it kind of gets ignored a lot, but it's one of the most interesting and strongest films, I think. See, I've always liked Three. It threw your Enterprise out the window to yes. recreate the Well, it, it had broke anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And Four's Four. Everybody loves the one with the whales. Four's a lot of fun. I think it's one of the weakest. But it's the Because it tidies everything up too easily. It's not just that. It's when it becomes a comedy. Yeah. It, 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 it ignores everything that come before it. Yeah. It ignores Star Trek because it just wants to be an entertaining summer blockbuster. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a fun film. It's a great film. But it's not... It's not a Star Trek film, in my opinion. Okay. And then you get five. Because Shatner had it in his contract that what Nimoy got, he got. I like five. Five is a mediocre... Th- five is a good 13 episode. No. I think five is a mediocre to good season two episode. Really? Or season one. Oh, it's not season one. Okay. So my reason why, my argument is... Roddenberry loved his episodes where the theme was... What would a normal person do with these godlike powers? Yeah, and he continued to love that through Next Generation. Right. The reason why I like Star Trek V so much is because it's a Roddenberry episode. And, yeah, you're tapping into these religious themes. You've, you, you, your, your bad guy is God, but it's not. And this is why I love it so much. And why I think it's better than other people give it credit for is by the time you get to the end of it, essentially you're seeing the last ten minutes of a season one Roddenberry episode. You've given godlike powers to a nobody, but you've not seen that nobody before they had these godlike powers. Hmm. You're seeing this petulant, selfish person with these godlike powers, but in the final act. Hmm. And I think that's why I find it so fascinating is you're dealing with these kind of ramifications of, of religion, of televangelists. Hmm. But then what happens when you've got all of this circus melodrama and then all it boils down to is just the final act of a Gene Roddenberry superpowers episode from season one. Really? That's an it's, interesting take on season on Star Trek Fire. Because that's what it boils down to. It's, it's not God, it's nothing religious. It's just a being who's been given godlike powers yeah. and doesn't know how to handle it, but you've not seen their character progression. So you've not seen them be Gary Mitchell? Yeah. And that's why I think Star Trek V is a better film than anyone I've seen give it credit for. Really? Controversial opinion, I know. No, no, I, I think Five's more enjoyable than people but it's allow. But it got, again, some of the strongest bits from it is when you see their pasts and how they've shaped mm. them. And you get Spock who just goes, I know what I lived through. You don't have to remind me. I'd move past it. Yeah. That doesn't define me anymore. And it's got one of Kirk's best ever lines, mm. which is, I don't want you to take away my pain. I need my pain. Yeah. 
my pain has given me has matured me just as much as my successes. And it's some of the most perfect Star Trek moments, but some of the most perfect human moments like that. Mm -mm. You can't just live life in the good. It's the bad that makes you who you are. Yeah, it's the mistakes that help make you who you are just as much as the the things you get right. So I feel like Star Trek V is the antithesis of four. Mm. Five is the serious moments without the fun, Mm. but four is the fun without the serious moments. And they keep, but the problem with five is they keep trying to shoehorn the fun in. Yeah. So Sulu and Chekhov getting lost is stupid. The Scotty banging his head is stupid. Half the budget going towards the um, thingy forest. Yeah. Just so they can have the gag with the hover boots. Yeah. It's stupid. Yeah. But the actual idea, that's see, I read the boot before I saw the film. Okay. And if you read the boot, you don't have any of the budgetary problems. Mm. So I read the boot thinking I was going to get a great film. Yeah. And then I didn't. I think five is a great Star Trek episode, let down by Star Trek four. Yeah. To be brutally honest. Yeah. Because people were expecting that again. Yeah. And then it all ended. Yeah. With well, six. Kind ended. of. Ended. Ish. Yeah, we don't we don't consider generations to be canon. Well, I'm not even up to there. Yeah. All right. You, well, I'm we we so, can't talk I'm about that. I'm looking forward to it. We'll we'll get to that maybe as a sequel episode. But six picks up on a line from four. Mm-hmm. There will be no peace as long as Kurt lives. Yeah. And they decide to extrapolate on that. Now, I think... Well, they lean back to previous episodes. Like we said, Kirk goes to war with the Klingons despite being told not to. Yeah. Now, uh... five people will talk about the budget problems with five and the special effects problems with five. Mm-hmm. I think six looks cheaper than any of the others bar three. Really? Yeah. It's all on redress Next Generation sets. Well, yeah, because Next Generation started at the time, hadn't it? No, Next Generation was in its like fifth or sixth season at that point. Oh, God, yeah. It, it, it started, started at the same time as four? Before. It started production after four and was on the year when five came out. Yes. So it's nothing but Next Generation redress set. Wasn't it five and season one were a thing when Roddenberry died? No, it's season five when Roddenberry dies. Is that how much? Right, yeah. okay, okay. He stops being involved in day-to-day production around season three. Okay. But he died. He, the dedication to him is on the Spock episode, which yeah, will be when yeah, Star Trek yeah, yeah, Six yeah, yeah. comes yeah. out, because that's why Spock appears in the Next Generation. It's cross promotion for Leonard Nimoy. He's basically plugging the film, right? Because I'd seen the films before I started Next Gen. Yeah. So that's okay. So that's that's why he agreed to be in Next Generation because he wanted to promote. He was the film. plugging the film that right. he was also a producer of. Okay. So he had a vested interest in Six doing well. Okay. And it's not that I think six, I don't I think six is great, but I do think you know they could have thrown a little bit more coin into the Witcher. Canal. <laughs> um, I liked it a lot, and it makes Kirk more of a three-dimensional character. Mm. He is, but there's the bit where he says it's acknowledging his racism, and I think that line is more interesting than just racism. It mm. borrows into the idea of, well, why is he racist? Because of the war that he was a part yeah. of. Word of system- He's been raised to dislike si- them. Yeah, it, it challenges the idea of systematic racism and just going, well, is he racist or was he just told to be? Has he, he been raised to dislike the Klingons? Yeah. Now, he's not going to like him because they killed David. Yeah. But he never showed any disdain for them in the original show. Apart from when he actively tried to... Yeah, but yeah. in Tribbles, 
Yeah. He doesn't seem to have any great dislike for, for Koloff. Yeah. Um, and again, it's why I kind of... I like that they try to make him kind of acknowledge it and he's going, look, I was racist. Mm-hmm. But it's also that kind of thing where just going, but it wasn't just that, was it? There is There's a more, lot of other elements there in there. There is more complexity. And I wish it lends into that a bit more because I thought that would have been more interesting than just saying racism. Well, also as well, Shatner was right. Mm. When he's doing that scene, the let them die. Yeah. He plays it that he says that gut instinct and then yeah. he regrets it. Yeah, yeah. And he composes himself and then he goes back to, you know, why do you want us to do this spot? We, we've done our bit for King and Country. Yeah. Nicholas Mayer, who directed the film, disagreed with him. He right. wanted Shatner Kirk to be a pure racist. Well, yeah. Shatner wanted Kirk to have that nuance that you're talking about. Yeah. So in the film, they cut his reaction shot. Well, didn't... Because I know he argued a lot with Roddenberry at the time, didn't he? Didn't he well, Roddenberry, die... was, Roddenberry wasn't around for sex. I, well... From, from what I've read, and I could be wrong, is that they argued a lot about it and they disagreed about a lot of things. And then Roddenberry passed. Hmm. And then he actually rewatched the film and went, oh, you know, he might have had a point. Right. See, I always thought it was with Mayer that he had his difficulty. Okay. Because it was Nick Mayer who wanted it to be... But he... Oh, no, no, so I mean the director, yeah. not... Yeah, yeah. Shatner wanted the nuance, though, that you're talking about. Yeah. And that's how he played it. Yeah. And in the film, it cuts to Spark. And you never get that reaction of Kurt realising what he's just said. Which would have been far more fascinating. Yeah, Shatner was right. Po- yeah. Shatner was absolutely 100% right. Yeah. It needs that moment where you realise he realises that, yes, there's a little bit of systemic racism here. Yeah. But I'm better than that. Mm. Or at least I try to be. Yeah. And, and ultimately, even, they shouldn't have cut that bit. Even, I mean, you know, let's say Kirk did double down on the racism or whatever. The thing that the director should do is show the character and then the reaction Mm. so if there was that degree of kirk regretting that yeah he played he said in his book he says he played it that the words were out of his mouth and he regrets saying it so that's uh, yeah that is definitely a directorial error like if you've got that performance that gives more depth Mm. show it again it's shatner being subtle yeah in a way that he doesn't often get credit for being and i think he's quite low-key in that film apart from the bit where he gets to play against himself (laughs) <laughs> which is always an excuse for him to be campy <laughs> yeah. but there's you've got McCoy well, there the yeah, you've, but you've got McCoy there undercutting it mm. all the way through what is it with you yes just taking the purse and the brilliant bit at the end where he allows himself to go ever so slightly over the top when they bring the torpedoes online and he goes directly up to the camera fire <laughs> and on the one hand very stagey very campy on the other but yes. Well, this is the last time he's going to do it. Yeah. And there's One a, last hurrah for Jimmy T. There's a lot in the last hour or so of that. Maybe we've even shot them out like the last half an hour. Yeah. Where all you want is just that those last hurrahs. Like, yeah. we've, we've moved past everything. we just got to show the end of yeah. it. And then fire. Yeah. And it's brilliant. And the lighting of it's brilliant. And the way he walks up to that bar around the bridge and puts his foot on it before yep. he brings his fist down. And when they're, they're in the, the speech, it's nothing but payoff after yeah. payoff. And even knowing that it wasn't the last, even though knowing it's not the end, there's just something about... Oh, as far as I'm concerned, it is. There's something about one last test run. Yeah. And they just take the ship out. And that's that's a perfect ending. Yeah, first star on the right. Yeah. Straight on to the moment. That's a perfect ending just the bit with it's like and going back to who is captain kirk mm. as a person we're supposed to take the enterprise back but 
One last ride. Yeah, one last trip around the sun. It's definitely, you know, a wink at you, the audience, yeah. but that's all you want. You just want them to take it out yeah. into the into the literal sunset. Yeah. And then but then you've got the bit at the end where he has his little speech where he does say, I couldn't get past my own prejudices. Mm. And for history to progress, it has to move past people like me. Yeah. And that's a remarkably self-aware thing that I think a lot of people don't ever have. Again, it's also very topical. Yeah. Uh, everything that's happened in the last two, three years alone. Well, I always round it up to ten for some reason. But to have these char- in characters in fiction mm. be more self-aware and forward-thinking than actual people yeah. be now like, and then we get the next generation so you've not gone on to the next generation movies i am in the well i've not, I've not seen descent yet so i so I, you're at the end of season I've got the six last season yeah i've got the last season of next gen and i've seen the first season of ds9 yeah because you're watching them like concurrently I'm a fan of ds9 See, I think Deep Space Nine, around season four, Deep Space Nine does become one of the better ones. I think I'm not getting into DS9. Because like, I like that Star Trek is discovering new things. It's like, say HBO did a TV show critically acclaimed about pirates sailing mm. the sea and exploring new things. But then they had a spin-off about a post office in some kind of port somewhere. Just a post office. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they've, they've taken the least interesting the aspect yeah. of this show about, well, we're not going to go explore new things. We're just going to maybe have people come to us. And I've heard it's people say it's get great, but so far it's been such a vastly different show. I'm just not feeling it. Once Worf comes aboard, it, it does. But again, it's another one of them where 26 episodes a year hurts it. Mm. It's one of those cherry pick, yeah. I would say. I mean, that gets more difficult as you get into season six and seven. Yeah, it becomes more story driven. Yeah, yeah, and becomes more interlinked. But you can certainly cherry pick the good and the bad. Mm. Okay, so we'll wrap up here mm-hmm. on this bit. Seems like a good point. Yeah. Yeah, essentially the end of the original show. Well, um, until until another ending. Another <laughs> ending. Yeah, and we'll come back for a sequel where we talk about your next generation journey. Well, which is, as of present, the end of my journey. <laughs> well, yeah, but we'll see how we go. We'll see where we go with that. All right, so thank you very much. HeyKidsComics at VirginMedia.com. Oh, do you still do that? I us? still the email address. Okay. Because yeah, I've not changed it because I'm lazy. <laughs> lazy bastard by and large. I'm Michael and I'll be back next time to look at the next generation. Goodbye. Goodbye.